out now on Press Gang Records, Buffalo, New York's Wrong the Oppressor Cassette. Ellis Horse, The Project from the Minds of Rob Antonucci, and Ryan Hex Cannabis, available on all streaming platforms. War self-titled 7-inch, available in black and coke bottle clear. Pick these up at PressGangRecordsUS.LimitedRun.com Welcome to Enterprise Hardcore Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lyons. This is hopefully what will become volume one in the Hellfest Chronicles. Um, uh, hopefully there'll be a, you know, a, quite a few of these episodes. We'll see how, we, how this one goes. Uh, tonight I'm gonna be talking with Ryan Canavan, AKA uh, Ryan Hex and uh, Dan Zimmerman. We'll get to all that in just a second, but as always, make sure you give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram at Enterprise Hardcore Podcast, on Twitter at Podcast Hardcore. Uh, thanks everyone who's been supporting the Patreon and GoFundMe as always. Uh, monthly Patreon subscribers, as I've been teasing for a while, pretty soon you're going to start getting a lot of exclusive content uh, once I honestly figure it all out. And uh, we'll talk more about the GoFundMe again later. Uh, so thanks again, everybody's been supporting that. But yeah, like I said, this is uh, going to be episode 90. Uh, hopefully it'll be the first of many of these Hellfest episodes. Uh, tonight, my guests, like I said, are going to be Ryan Canavan and Dan Zimmerman. Uh, first, we're going to bring on Ryan. Uh, how's everything going for you tonight, Ryan? Uh, pretty good. It's it's hot. <laughs> yeah, it's yo, hot. It's, my girlfriend was like, "You should set up in the basement tonight because even though there's no air conditioner down here, it's you know typically cooler in the basement, but it, it feels a lot hotter down here than any other room in the house." <laughs> so I'm definitely regretting it. But shout out to my girlfriend for taking the kids and driving them around and trying to get them to go to sleep because uh, that's how we're getting this one done tonight. So, and then uh, next we're going to bring on uh, Dan. How's everything going for you tonight, Dan? Good. How about you? Uh, pretty good. Like I said, hot. But uh, I guess where you're calling from might be a little bit hotter than where we are, maybe. Yeah. I, I, ironically, right now it's uh, it's not definitely not cold, but it's uh, it's it's a little cooler because our seasons are flipped. So when it's summer there, it's winter here. Oh, that's right. But winter and winter in Brazil isn't too tough. Nothing yeah. like Minnesota. So I yeah. can't complain. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been to school, so I forgot about that whole flip in the. Uh... That, yeah, <laughs> the toilet's flush the other way too. So, 
Um, one thing that I've been thinking about with bringing this all together is, is how this all kind of came together. I mean, obviously, uh, first Ryan and Keith, uh, booked, uh, the first of what would become, uh, a pretty influential festival in my opinion, but I'm, so obviously I'm bringing Ryan on cause he was had a hand in doing it. And Dan, you played on the festival, but also like the three of us kind of have something in common too. Where we're doing like a lot of archival shit for hardcore right now. And I think that kind of work is really cool and very necessary. Um, especially having kids and, and, you know, seeing future generations come into the scene. It's obviously really cool that a, some of us kept a lot of this stuff, you know, and B it's all kind of getting out there. So I think kind of having you guys on, that's, that's a big part of the reason too. And, and I guess, Dan, I'll kind of take that, uh, take it to you from there. Cause I know you've kind of been doing some pretty cool stuff, uh, with like the videos and stuff, right? Yeah, I, um, I think it was, uh, a little over a year ago that I had the idea to finally put up my video archives because i had a vhs or well, a compact vhs camcorder back from uh sometime in 95 i know the first show i recorded was in uh october of 95 which was disembodied and some other bands and a little house show in minneapolis and uh so i had the camcorder up until the very tail end of 97 and filmed basically every show that I went to, every band that I saw. Uh, at least that was kind of what I was trying to do uh, while I had it. Towards the end, I started getting a little bit lazier. I, I've, I've come to see, but uh, in the beginning, I was just really kind of obsessive about trying to catch every minute of every band that I would see. And, and, uh, and then these tapes just ended up being sitting in a box for, 25 years basically and um you know i hadn't i haven't seen most of them um uh, still a lot of them aren't digitized yet I, i'm still trying to get uh, the rest of them digitized but uh yeah it was just last year that a friend of mine and also the guitarist from endeavor mike duffy he works at the university of minnesota now in minneapolis and so you know on one of my last trips i basically left the whole box of 140 150 tapes with him and he was using equipment that he has access to at the u of m to start digitizing tapes and sending the files my way and so yeah just kind of started putting th things up and i had the idea of trying to post them exactly 25 years after it was filmed which was just kind of a fun little uh time traveling <laughs> uh, attempt here it's kind of fun to see what was going on 25 years ago and and uh i've done the best i could do you know in between other projects and stuff uh you know it it definitely takes time as i'm sure you're well aware of any of this stuff is uh time consuming but uh but it's been a lot of fun and and great getting in touch with you know people again uh and bringing back some memories that a lot of this stuff wasn't very documented like things are today. Now, uh, you know, it's funny now I don't, you know, currently I don't really film that many shows because, you know, everyone has a camera in their pocket. And, and so I end up not filming that much stuff, but, you know, back in the nineties, you'd have like one or two people that would have a camera around. And so it was kind of, uh, kind of nice to, get some of this stuff up online and get it out there for people that, you know, haven't seen, because a lot of stuff, you know, the scene back then was a uh, totally different uh, size from it, from what it is today. So. 
There's going to be a lot of common themes, I think, tonight about how things were a lot different uh, 25 years ago than they were today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want us to sound like a bunch of, uh, you know, get off our lawns or, or front yards or whatever, but it, it might come off that way. And, you know, you're doing the video things really cool because I will tease like, you know, I've been talking about getting video equipment for this. Like one thing I definitely want to take a step forward with is is mixing in like a lot of video uh, live shows, video interviews and, and kind of going in more of a direction of like a video themed I mean, I know a lot of people like to listen to podcasts on their earphones. Like I do when I'm, you know, getting my daughter to go to sleep. I listen to wrestling podcasts all the time, but like, I, yeah. I know that there's a better connection sometimes when you can see like a video and, and almost make it like an actual show. So um, it will some, be something that's really cool. And then sticking with the archival theme and talking about something that's kind of hard to do and also putting up with assholes who sometimes try to correct you on the years. Um, Ryan has been putting together, what is it? 30 plus years? Of uh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, 30 years worth of flyers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Ryan's got this account on Instagram where it's just, it's fun. I mean, that's kind of how, how things uh, uh, started with me with the uh, pandemic too, was just taking a trip down memory lane with all these flyers. And then, but now Ryan has one that's actually like organized and it's like by year and, and chronological. And I don't know what year you're on now, 2002, I think, as of this recording. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm somewhere in 2002. Yeah, uh, so. And I've been doing this since October so of, of 2021 so for nine nine months or something I, i've made it through what 1992 up until it's been like yeah and all that stuff in the beginning like the first several years i didn't start going to shows until 1994 and uh so the first few years of stuff that i have was stuff that i got from other people and uh there was only a few things a few documents here and there you know because Back then, it was even even harder, you know, to hold on to those to those flyers and those, those documents and you know stuff that existed back then. So all I got is what you know. Uh, the bulk of it is what I have from because I I've just always been obsessive like that, like about like keeping the flyer for every show I go to. Like that that's it's not something I've had to like scour the internet for for the most part. I I just keep that stuff. I've always done that. So it would just fall into like a bin or into like a you know a, a book or something like that and a few years ago it's been a while but I, but I made the effort to like oh I should sort this stuff out sometime and like try to sort it out by year and um I mean, even this is going back like god I don't know like nine or ten years almost at this point but maybe Josh you might remember maybe but um myself and um my friend Enrique and uh, Weston, if you knew Weston, who sings in Van Oakenbone, and he does a lot of like, noise tape stuff now. We, we got together with that common, like, uh, you know, love of old flyers and stuff. And we did an actual, like, gallery showing, you know, because we had that venue in Syracuse called Badlands and then the Spark Art Space that we're going for a long time. And we had a lot of free reign in those spaces, and we're like, hey, Let's put together like a gallery studio like Syracuse Hardcore for like, you know, the last couple of decades. So that's when I really started trying to sort through my stuff and organize it so that I could set it up for the show. And we did the gallery showing. And then like a few years later, we did a second one, which was um, same theme. It was just mostly like, hey, you know, the, the new kids who are coming in the scene now, like they didn't see this a few years ago. So let's, let's do another showing and, you know, trying to get some new kids in check it out and you know get an idea of like yeah this is you know this research is had offer back then and um and then i just sat on 
those uh you know those flyers and stuff for a long time until yeah like pandemic style is like well i got it all organized i'm gonna digitize it all now <laughs> i spent a long time just like digitizing you know a couple thousand flyers so uh, you know cut to the present and yeah I'm, I'm, I'm doing the damn thing you know so so yeah i think that's kind of where we're like, so we're jumping kind of into like, I guess, 96 at this point then. And, and like I kind of told you guys before, when this festival occurred, I was like 16. So my my prior experience and knowledge with like festivals and like traveling to hardcore was pretty minimal. I've been to a couple of Buffalo shows. That's actually where I met you, Ryan. You were handing out flyers at the last uh, Slugfest show oh, yeah. Um, yeah. for this fest. But I guess like I, I was kind of mentioning, I kind of want to jump back and say and see like, like what kind of festivals you both had kind of been to, like Dan, uh, Dan and Ryan and like. I guess after that, I'll kind of ask Ryan like what the influences were on I'm, I'm getting this all set up. You know what I mean? You mentioned the 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 Slugfest show. Are you talking about the the reunion in '97? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, it's funny. I I filmed that show. I have the whole thing filmed. I haven't posted it yet because I haven't. I don't have it digitized. But yeah, I filmed that. You know, as soon as I get that digitized, I'll be putting that up. I have that whole show. So. I probably don't have you probably don't have you guys meeting, but have, <laughs> I might have you in the crowd. That was that was my first time seeing Hate Breed, and I just remember like yeah, I sick, you know, like I mean, I yeah, it, I mean, it was it probably wasn't as crazy as going to like Connecticut or some shit, and like even the, the show you put on where it was more there's it seemed a little more like you know stage diving and stuff, but the the Buffalo show was wild, and I definitely would would love to see that video too, Dan. So that's really cool that you have that, but yeah, Ryan, just kind of like. I know you've probably been to some fest before. So kind of what had given you, you and Keith, like the influence, like what kind of, what kind of fest were you going to before this, I guess, you know? I don't think I had been to a hardcore fest before the one I booked. Like I knew of some, I knew about like more than music fest, you know, that was a big thing in Ohio. I knew that that had happened. You know, I was aware of that, but um, I don't think I'd ever been to like a hardcore fest. I mean, other than like, Hey, here's a show with like 10 bands, which you could call a fest, but no one was calling it that um but yeah there was so so the, the inspiration for keith and myself to do this was that in 1996 there was supposed to be a syracuse fest and um this guy justin o'hare booked it uh, justin who was the singer of green rage from like way back right uh he was booking shows at that time and he booked this two-day fest and i saw the lineup and i was like this lineup is ridiculous like it wasn't I mean, there's bands you could look at now and be like, oh my God, those bands got to be really big. But at the time, they weren't like huge, you know, like he, but it was the variety of bands that was appealing to me. And I just thought that was like wild. Like, dude, he's putting the promise ring and overcast on the same fest. Like, that's so cool. Like, what a crazy idea. And um, so he just had this really wide variety of, of bands on there. Uh, coming from all corners of kind of like the punk and hardcore spectrum, and Promise Ring isn't really a, a punk band by any means, but you know they're they're in that underground sort of you know realm. But um, yeah, just a wide variety of bands. I was like, this is such a cool idea. And then literally either the day before or the day of the fest, that then you pulled the carpet on them. They were just like, oh, I think we got something else. It's gonna you know make more money this week, so we're canceling this thing. And it was like such a like, like a kick in the nuts, you know. Like I know Justin was furious. Um, bands had shown up and they were just like waiting outside the venue, they were like what the heck, you know? Um, so that was that was like a real letdown, but I, I was like, man, that would have been so cool. 
And then by the spring of 1997, when both Keith and myself started booking shows on our own, you know, we had only done a couple shows each. And we were like, hey, let's team up and make a fest. You know, do like we were supposed to have last year and make it for real this time. And uh, that, that was the what gave us the idea to like, yeah, we can do this. I mean, we have no idea what we're doing, but we're going to do this. So, yeah. So before I get Dan's uh, like you know experience with Fest and like his opinion on getting this whole thing set up, I I have one quick follow up to that though, Ryan. Mm-hmm. You guys started setting this up in the spring of 1997. Yeah, so like three months before it happened. Can you imagine a festival in like in 2022 being set up on like three months notice? Like there's I can't no, even, you know no, I know they're all set up like a year in advance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so we crazy. No idea what we're doing, we're just like yeah, let's do this, and it worked. <laughs> So yeah, we'll get we'll we'll get into how how different things are uh, throughout the episode. Like I said, um, but Dan, had you guys played or had you attended a bunch of other uh, fests prior to Ryan doing this one? Yeah, well, a little bit, but uh, also you know, most of the fests were kind of small, which was kind of funny because, well, uh, I mean, I I went to a fest like a big fest uh, in Wisconsin in I think ninety four ninety five which I don't even remember all the bands. Uh, it had the Ramones and Rollins band, but then a bunch of other bands like, I don't I don't remember, but bands like Bush and stuff like that. I don't think Bush actually played, but you know, it was, it was a real kind of wide variety of, band, of bands that were playing. Other than that, you know, I think we're just kind of the fests that I, that I played once and that I filmed once uh, I started playing in Harvest in the very beginning of, 90, 96, I think like February or so, February or March. And uh, in March, I went out and filmed uh, that Clevo Fest, March of 96. And that was a huge, you know, huge fest, uh, you know, had a bunch of stories to tell as well. That, uh, that one? Yeah, <laughs> that one, <laughs> that that fest. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was like, and that was kind of in my, my peak film everything days i think out of like 30 bands i filmed every every song from every band except for like i think i missed like a couple songs of one of the bands on maybe saturday morning or something other than that it was all kind of smaller fest um in may uh harvest played winnipeg fest up in canada but it was like you know probably you know 50 or 100 people there and then again in May, there was Kansas City Fest, um, but that was seriously like 50 people. You know, there were tons of bands, you know, Bloodlet, Dead Guy, you know, tons of bands, but, you know, virtually no one there, uh, which was kind of common for Kansas City shows. But and then after that, um, well, there was a Minneapolis Fest uh, in June of 96. But that too, I think, you know, was probably uh, even for a fest, I'm guessing maybe, you know, 100, 200 people, nothing, uh, you know, everything was kind of smaller. And then, um, you know, there's some things here, there, and then, uh, you know, the Syracuse Fest, which, yeah, just like you, I missed the first two days of it, uh, because that was the, uh, the very first few days or the first week of the the tour that Harvest and Endeavor did together. And so we were playing, yeah, I think we played New Jersey the night before and Staten Island the night before that. 
uh, which was actually an interesting thing. When I posted the 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 show from Sunday night of the fest, um, I talked with a bunch of people. Talked talked with Rich, who you've had on here, Rich Thurston. Who else was I talking to? Uh, you know, talked with a few people about that. And, you know, people were asking because there were some flyers of like Coles and stuff. And we had played with Coles on that Friday in Staten Island. And then I think Saturday they went and played the fest in Syracuse. And so there were, you know, and then Saturday we played uh, New Jersey with Snapcase. And, and so there were kind of a few bands that were kind of switching around. And, uh, oh, I was talking with the guys from Culture and they were supposed to play uh, I can't remember what it was. They were supposed to play somewhere else on Sunday and then they ended up staying another day because their show on Sunday got canceled, which I think was out in Connecticut or something. Uh, so I ended up talking with a few people about that, but yeah, I only caught the, the last day of the fest, uh, unfortunately. And I guess before we jump back into Ryan organizing the thing with Keith, um, like how, we, how Ryan and I talked about them starting to organize this in the spring, how, how far in advance were you guys booking that tour? Was it about the same thing or was it a little bit earlier? Oh, that, this is the thing I've been, uh, I've been terrible at. I've usually been the one in the band that like writes music and there's always someone else dealing with booking shows. Like in the Hope Conspiracy, Jonas was the booking guy. You know, he booked everything. And with Harvest, um, a lot of times I think it was Dave, the singer who would take care of things. But I believe that tour, it was probably Josh from Trustkill that that booked everything. So I don't think, yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't know too much about how that thing was booked. But I know that things changed because there was a poster that he printed up for the, the Harvest Endeavor summer tour of 97. And a bunch of the, the dates, you know, the cities are switched around or totally different cities and venues and so I know there were a bunch of changes that happened and, and uh, you know, so, but yeah, a lot of times everything back then was so much quicker, even, you know, it's crazy for me to think of, uh, you know, with Harvest, I joined the band, I think it was February of 96. I think in March, we recorded the Harvest second EP, the incision set or not EP seven inch, uh, the incision seven inch and you know, by June, we were out touring with Despair and Brothers Keeper with the record. So it's like, you know, from joining the band to being on tour with the record in your hand, it was like, you know, five months or something like that. So yeah, things were able to move a lot faster than now, like with vinyl production. And, you know, yeah. just now everything's so, uh, you know, done a little more in advance and more professionally. So Ryan, you can definitely speak to the delays in vinyl, <laughs> right? Running the early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I deal with that um, all the time. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dan, Dan's got a point. Some things moved a little bit faster. Like, yeah, if you, you know, put a record out, like vinyl wasn't really super popular at that time. Like bands were doing it, but it wasn't as popular. So the, there were no production backups. It's just like, yeah, you wait a few weeks and you get it usually you'd end up waiting a long time because either the band or the label was broke and they had to, you know, raise the money before they could press it. So it's like, yeah, our record came out a year late because we were broke. You know? So, uh, but when it came to booking stuff, um, yeah, usually like three to four months ahead of time, that was, that was a good enough amount of time. 
And, you know, I'm actually, I'm looking at the lineup right now and more than half the bands on this were coming from less than five hours away. You know, we definitely reached out to some bands who are from pretty far away who ended up doing like Culture and Morning Again. You know, they came up from Florida and like Today is the Day came from Tennessee and Coalesce was coming from Kansas City. But, you know, Coalesce built a tour around the fest and like, yeah, Harvest was from Minnesota. So that's really far away. Um, and, you know, we took advantage of like, it's the summer. Every band goes on tour in summer. So, you know, we reached out to a, a lot of bands and there were definitely bands that told us no, you know, either they were like, yeah, we're, that's too far away or we're not touring or whatever. But, you know, we had the advantage of like, I mean, the Northeast is great for this. There's so many cities that are not far apart from one another. So the Northeast is easy to tour. Uh, everything's close together. So reaching out to bands who are from, you know, Buffalo, Boston, uh, Pennsylvania, New York City, Connecticut, whatever, like, that's not far, you know? So, you know, a lot of those bands, they would just be like, oh, cool, weekend, two months from now in Syracuse? Yeah, sure, we'll do it. You know, like, yeah, why not? It's only a three-hour drive. So that, that made booking half the fest pretty easy, you know, or easier than, I mean, the hardest part was like finding the phone number and picking up the phone and being like, hi, you don't know me. You want to play a show in two months? Like <laughs> that was kind of awkward, but otherwise, uh, yeah, uh, some of it was easy. Uh, there was a lot of it that was a headache and a lot of that came from just never having done this before and just winging it. So, yeah. Yeah, you're talking about like a band's building the tour on. It's kind of why I asked Dan about the the Endeavor Harvest tour, and because I know like Despair and Hatebreed were on tour together too. So it, it seems like a, yeah. some of these bands probably really playing this fest together and decided to you know package or something like that. But you know, yeah, they, and, and and some of those tours they they would have probably wanted to come through Syracuse anyway, you know, because I mean Syracuse was such a hot spot for hardcore back then. I mean, it's it's still doing good now, but you know, especially then, like that was like everyone came there, so. Yeah. So again, I know it was 25 years ago. So if the memory's foggy, I understand. But do you remember any bands that turned you down? Like, did you guys ask like Earth Crisis or anything like that? Like any bigger like area bands? I mean, I know Snapcase played obviously, but yeah, yeah, that was that was the big one. It's like, oh my god, Snapcase is gonna play. Like they were huge, you know. Um, I can't I can't recall like any huge bands that we hit up that turned us down. I there was there was some bands that I wanted. I know for sure that at like maybe at one point they were like oh yeah i think we i think that would be cool i think we could do it and then later on they'd be like no like i i really love i used to love the band person 454 from dc you know um i i love that band and i really wanted them to play and i reached out to them and they gave me a maybe and then they were like nah we can't do it and i also reached out to dead guy and actually on an early version of the flyer dead guy's on the flyer but and so they were going to do it, but then they broke up. So, um, like the real, the, the breakup, breakup, right? The second lineup broke up. So, uh, so they didn't come. Um, but yeah, there's probably a few more that escaped my memory. Um, we, we had kind of, uh, people thought like we had a special guest band on the third day, and people thought it was going there's a rumor going around that it was going to be half resistance and i have no idea where that rumor started from i was like and i tried to tell people like look it's not half resistance people were like oh you you can keep your secret safe for me i'm like no it's really not that but 
and then the sequel bone came on. People were like, it wasn't Pantry Resistance. Why not? Like, because I told you it wasn't. You know, like the rumor mill was just gone. So uh, I don't think at any point. We might have asked those guys at one point, like, hey, is this something you would do? And right away they're like, no, probably not. Like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try. So yeah, other than that, I, I don't recall any other big bands that we approached to turn us down. And I know the internet was still pretty kind of new for like our purposes. And did you guys use like any, any, where was it all phone calls, like you said? I think it is probably all phone calls. I, Dan, I, I can't remember how we got in touch with the with your tour. Uh, I know Josh Rebell like lived in Syracuse at that time, but I yeah. didn't really, I didn't really know him, so I can't remember like how we reached out for the tour for you and Endeavor. Yeah, I'm guessing it was probably Josh that that set it up. Um, Carl Severson uh, of Ferret at the time, uh, you know, now Good Fight. He uh, he was on the tour with us as well. Uh, both him and Josh were riding in the van with us uh, on that on that tour, and and so Carl may have had you know had a hand in in some of the booking as well. I'd have to check with Dave. I'm guessing it was probably Josh who who booked it all. You know, Josh had shows in his house you know before that, and so he probably had a lot more contacts than anyone else at the time. I'm guessing. Oh, definitely, yeah. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm pretty sure it was almost all phone calls. I, I was barely using the internet at all at that point. I might have not even had an email address. So <laughs> I think it was yeah. pretty much all phone calls. I didn't get the, I didn't get the, I got the internet later. It was like 1999. I think everybody else pretty much had it by then. But I, I know 97 was still kind of like chat rooms and like shit like that. So I, I didn't think you guys really would have done much with it for this. Yeah. Um, Dan, was that a full U.S. tour then, like like all the way out to the West Coast, or? Yeah, well, it was supposed to be. Harvest ended up breaking up and <laughs> towards the tail end of it. Yeah, I mean, basically the the original drummer and bass player, uh, you know, uh, we had like a week left of the tour, and they decided they didn't want to do the last uh, week of it. They wanted to go home, and you know, there wasn't really anything we could do to convince them otherwise so uh so we ended up going yeah it started out uh well we played a show in in wisconsin on the way out but our first official day was staten island and we went down to to jersey syracuse you know worked back through the midwest through chicago and minneapolis and then out west to seattle down the coast uh to california uh through Arizona up to Denver. Denver was our last show. And then we came back home and Endeavor finished out the rest of the tour, uh, which was going, I think after Denver, I think they went down to Texas, New Orleans and Florida. And then maybe they had a show or two on the way back up the East coast. But yeah, so I think there were like supposed to be another five shows or so that we ended up missing out on. And was your guys' full length out by then already too, or the, the harvest? Yeah, that's a uh, funny thing. I've, I, I'm bad at remembering dates of when things are released, but I think uh, Living with the God, God Complex was came out, I think, in January of '97. Um, yeah, I think we, I, I think we had the record there. It's funny, like because you know. Now I kind of have to depend on discogs or something to figure out uh, when things were released. But uh, it's funny listening to, uh, you know, 
that's been a good thing about the the videos that I've been posting and stuff because it's like oh we have our full length in the back it's like okay so we did have it at this show and trying to piece together a little bit of the 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 history and see when we had things but yeah so we had the full length and then we had well harvest had two seven inches by then uh, as well but yeah the full length was probably out uh, and we also played Syracuse uh what was it uh february i believe and i think maybe even like december or something i think we played uh um, <laughs> yeah and it's well i mean because it was amazing and and syracuse then was seriously ridiculous i remember uh you know just being blown away by the show i think even dave uh i think then in, in like our next show after we played syracuse I think I remember seeing a show back in Minneapolis and him talking about how crazy the show was and stuff, because it was, you know, a totally different scene. And uh, yeah, Syracuse was always special back then, you know, and it was, uh, it was pretty amazing. So we were always happy anytime we had a chance to be out there. Yeah. I remember we went, uh, I think it's funny. I think it was also with, I'd have to see my, my list, I have a list of my tapes and the shows and all that. Uh, but yeah, I think we were in there out there in February of 97. So we were there, you know, just a few months before, before this fest. I could find out. <laughs> <laughs> got everything all locked down. February 2nd, 1997, Snapcase, Endeavor and Harvest. Yeah. Okay. Was there another band on that? Uh, it said another band, TBA. <laughs> so yeah uh, this is where i'll have to check my archives to see <laughs> who the other band was yeah. uh let's see here it was 90 uh february 2nd 97 yeah oh no that's the only three that i have <laughs> wow um, a three band show in 1997 jeez yeah, yeah. that must have been over in two hours <laughs> the the night before we played uh, the night before Harvest played in Buffalo with Torn Apart and Union uh, oh, wow. at, at the VFW there. But yeah, yeah, I thought, it's funny, for some reason I thought that um, there was another band that played, maybe because, and this is a show on that, fe that February uh, 2nd show uh, with Snapcase there that I filmed I filmed that so I think I think I missed a band and I think that's why I remember someone mentioning a first band but maybe maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I could be I could be wrong but yeah I haven't posted that one yet. I just it's one of the shows that I just missed the date and I'm kind of uh I like to post the videos on the date and so if I miss it I wait for the next year. So I have a bunch of stuff kind of in the backlog but but yeah that show was just an amazing show like I, I seriously wanted to, you know, do something different with this show, like almost do like a documentary of just that night because it was just, uh, you know, it's a super memorable show, crazy show for us, at least. I mean, it, because that was also, uh, I mean, we went on tour with Despair the year before, but even those shows were small shows. And I think that that February 2nd show in Syracuse was, you know, probably at the time, like, you know, uh, one of the best shows, if not the best show that we had played that we had been on, you know, as a band, I remember it just being, you know, really special for us. And 
And so then, you know, going back to, uh, yeah, I think it was McKaig that, that booked that show on the second. Yep. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, cause he, a lot of times he would speak, uh, you know, kind of introducing the bands before and after and yeah. stuff. And, and he's like, and he's like, ah, uh, yeah. So up next we have harvest from Wisconsin and we're like, ah, oh, Minnesota. It's like, ah, oh, same thing. <laughs> They're from somewhere far away. That's cold. Uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it's a, it was a great show. And, and so it's cool to have kind of, you know, that experience. And then a few months later, come back and be able to do the, the three day super fest. It was weird because, um, yeah, John McKay booked all those shows that I went to when I first started going to shows. And he would always talk between bands or, you know, between before the headliner or something. And he would always talk about something, you know, some, some sort of social issue or, or something having to do with hardcore or something like that, you know, or an animal rights issue or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And when I started going to shows in other towns and, you know, it's just like band gets up, band plays and next band and all that. And I was like, what, no, one, no one's going to talk? Like no one's going to say anything? And I thought that that was just something people did all the time. But it's like, no, it was just McKay. He was just that guy who would, you know, talk between bands or at least between one of the bands. And uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I guess this is uncommon for people to do. But I thought it was a cool thing. I, you know, I always hold that memory. I think that that's kind of a cool thing to do. So, yeah, I love that too. And and uh, I think it, it it creates a totally different sense of the scene, at least for uh, people coming through or, you know, touring bands or just someone who's going to a show from far away. Uh, I think that's, you know, like you get there and it's like, man, this is special. This is a community here. It's, it's true. Yeah, truly. And, and it's funny because like, you know, I have a, a, a good handful of shows from Syracuse that I've filmed and it's, it's funny always like, uh, you know, hearing, just, you know, people being called by name, like, you know, there was, you know, uh, a bit of a, uh, I don't know what you want to call it there, you know, there was a bit of a problem at one show and, and, you know, McKay will grab the mic and he'll be like, Sean, Sean, hey, Sean, <laughs> and it's like, you know, so it's just no, kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it just, you know, and I mean, I suppose like every scene is, um, you know, it's a community of itself and, and Minnesota was uh, really special back then. I loved the Minnesota and Minneapolis scene back then too. Uh, but I don't know, there's something different about Syracuse. Uh, and it was always something that, you know, ever since the first show we played there, it was like, we were excited for the Syracuse shows. And also, you know, uh, Josh was living there at the time from Trustkill and stuff. So, yep. so it, 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 you know, kind of almost felt like a home away from home. It's funny you guys mentioned the whole spoken word, basically, uh, <laughs> thing for the promoter at the shows. Because I don't know about you, Ryan, but I tried to kind of ape that a little bit when I booked shows. And I would try and get on the mic, like, before one of the, like, last bands or the headlining band. And I could only muster out, like, one or two sentences. And I was like, yo, this yeah. bad speaking thing's not for me. I suck at this, <laughs> you know? I remember you'd get up there, you'd say, like, once in a while, you'd just be like, I mean, even if it was just like, yo, thanks for coming out and like, give it up for so-and-so and, you know, like they're coming from a long way. So give them some gas money, blah, blah, blah. Like even something as simple as that, like that goes a long way too. You know, yeah. you don't have to get up on a soapbox and, you know, talk about the ills of the world or whatever. Like, you know, let bands do that while they're playing, you know, but 
even yeah just a little like hey if you don't know so-and-so came from a super far away and they got like a long ass drive hook them up you know like even something like that goes a long way yeah yeah definitely as you know as someone in a band that you know like is super valuable i see that as you know a huge help because you know a lot of times um you know people don't really realize uh that you know if you buy a cd for 10 bucks you know that's helping the band get to the next destination and you know it's always all those little things um it helps. And it also, you know, it's just, I think it, it, uh, I think it helps also the people in the crowd have a better, uh, experience, a better appreciation of like, man, these guys drove 18 hours to get here. And that's awesome. Let's, you know, let's check it out. Oh, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the, the pre-internet era. And I sincerely hope that Rory Van Grohl, uh, from Stanfast and anybody else from Stanfast is listening to this because, uh, Dan, you guys, I guess, apparently booked like a last show at some point. <laughs> Have you heard this story before, Ryan? Like 97, 98. And we're from Rochester, obviously, which is like 16 hours away from Minneapolis. And, yo, they took a whole carload of people and drove to Minneapolis. No yeah. internet or anything, right? Like and they get there and it's like the show's been canceled or postponed or some shit. No, so they, they just moved it to a different venue. Oh, is that so what it was? Rochester, yeah. Rochester, yeah. like whatever. There was like 10 of them. They saw that like they, they, they went to the venue that the show was supposed to be at but they didn't know it but moved and they saw that nothing was happening so they turned around and drove back <laughs> yeah i had heard about that <laughs> like you uh, didn't even try <laughs> <laughs> yeah i had heard about that um i don't think i've spoken with anyone who you know i've spoken with some people that have drove to that and and were lucky enough to find the second uh venue but yeah that was kind of a crazy thing um you know there was a Minneapolis punk band uh, Dillinger 4 that they played at the venue that our show was supposed to be at. It was at the University of Minneapolis uh, or University of Minnesota in Minneapolis and uh, the Kaufman Hall at the U of M. And apparently Dillinger 4, they had a show the night before our show was supposed to be. And and they had they like got potted plants from all around the campus and stuff and put them up on stage. So it was like a jungle on stage and stuff. And people end up like throwing the plants and, you know, just kind of trashing the whole place. And so then our show got canceled. So, you know, within a day, we ended up uh, finding a different venue, which was a skate park, third layer skate park. And, uh, you know, I think we used like, it was just piecing things together. I remember using a bass amp as a PA. So I think like Pete from Bain, like, you know, when they weren't playing, we were using his bass amp as for like to run the vocals through and stuff. So it's just kind of, you know, madness and, and uh, the show, you know, luckily turned out being amazing uh, for the people who, who caught it. But I had heard there were people that drove from quite a ways away and, and saw that I was like, show's canceled. And okay, you know, no way to check that. I guess they'll just go home. Shout out to Stan Fast. Uh, <laughs> I guess that kind of segues perfectly into my next uh, topic, though, uh, Ryan. Did anybody cancel, like, or were there any logistical concerns, like, leading up to the last few days or weeks? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always, you know, there's always things to work out, last minute things. And uh, but um, I'm trying to think of, like, Again, looking at this lineup, like I don't think anyone canceled. I think all the all the bands that were listed on the final flyer, like that's who played, you know, and, and everyone made it. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we, we dealt with some issues, you know, that were, um, you know, some bands uh, not telling us, you know, like, hey, we were hoping to get X amount of money. And we're like, oh, really? Because we never talked about that, you know, that kind of thing. Um, uh, security, you know, there was there was some like contention with the, the security who actually worked at the venue, who actually were like, guys who know they weren't they weren't like dopey security guys who like don't know anything about hardcore like they actually do you know they were pretty well versed in that and like they knew what to expect but um i think in terms of like communicating like between the promoters and the security communicating effectively that you know there was there was some like mixed signals there um otherwise yeah not really um famously uh the third day uh the Despair Hatebreed tour, when I, you know, we were pretty tight on money. Like, we we really were, like, tight. I mean, people got paid, but, like, people didn't get paid a lot. And on that Hatebreed Despair tour, like, when it came time to pay those guys, I was like, so, what do you guys want? You know, and they, they're like, well, we didn't have a guarantee or nothing. I'm like, okay, well, uh, I got 75 bucks to give to one band and 50 bucks to give to the other band. And I was gonna give Hatebreed the 75 because they they toured farther, they came from farther, and they were like kind of like the bigger band on the rise. And you know, straight up Jamie just was like, give us 50, give despair 75. They got a trailer. And I was like, You sure? And he's like, No, we're just happy to play. I was like, holy shit, like so that that guy gets respect. You know, like totally. he, he he was like stoked to get 50 bucks. He said it was Hatebreed's first time ever playing Syracuse and that they've been wanting to play there for a long time and he was just stoked to play. So I was like, I don't know. I always remember that. That that goes a long way. Um, so yeah, that was pretty wild. Well. <laughs> What's crazy too is I know I don't I know again pre-internet, so I don't know if they'd already announced it at other shows, but I know like that weekend was the first weekend that we had all heard that they had signed a victory. Like he was announcing it like on stage. Like, oh, was he played because they played Buffalo like the day before, and I had some friends that went to that and they told me. Like before I got to the show that day, they were like, Yeah, he breathes on victory now. And I was like, Oh shit. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe I'd known. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that like um actually that was that show was actually the release, the the uh fest was kind of the release show for um Coalesce's Give Em Rope. Um or whatever, yeah, give them rope, yeah, full length. Um, and they actually had CDs shipped to my house. They're like, yeah, they're, you know, they're ready to go. If we send them to you, will you bring them to us at the fest? I was like, yes, I will. And because I loved Coalesce and uh, they were kind of a big deal at the moment. So I, I, I was the re receiving end of their debut CD. So that was kind of interesting. Just, you know, crossing my fingers that shipping worked out, you know, and it got there in time and it did. So. I would have been apologizing for the box being short one CD when I gave them. <laughs> well, I gave them all to them and then, you know, hoping they would be like, do you want one? Yeah. You know, to which they were like, Hey, do you want one? I was like, yes, I do. Thank you. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, you, you know, you referenced the security too. Obviously we'll get to the last day that Dan and I were at in a minute and you know, there wasn't any issues with security. I know everything was, was handled pretty properly with, with a, a certain incident that we'll talk about in a little bit too. So, yeah. um, but yeah, like I said, Dan and I weren't really there for the first two days. So if you want to just kind of run through some of the highlights for you from those days, and then we'll kind of get to the, to the last day that we were all at, I guess. Yeah. So each day ran about the same. I'd say there was about like 300 people each day. 
which doesn't, you know, for a fest doesn't seem like a ton. Um, and in, insofar as shows in Syracuse go at the time, like that was a pretty good attendance. You know, it wasn't the biggest, it wasn't small by any means, but you know, it was good, it was modest. Um, the first day ran really well and it was a really varied lineup is like dissolve. You know, those guys are still a band. They're crazy, like just weird, you know, aggressive, like mean ass, kitschy, hardcore, like metalish stuff, look really weird stuff. Um, uh, we got Sweet Belly Freakdown to play who no one probably remembers them, but Sweet Belly Freakdown was Swizz. It was the same, it was Swizz, just under a different name. And I, I love Swizz. And uh, that band only was around for a really brief time. I mean, they only played a handful of shows. So they played our fest, which was wild. Uh, Ten Yard Fight was crazy. Like people went absolutely ballistic for Ten Yard Fight. Uh, I was a big Cast Iron Hike fan. Um, and they, they were really good. Snapcase was awesome. And then the second day was like all the New York, like Long Island bands, like Indecision and uh, Silent Majority. And um, actually, it's just those two, yeah, from Long Island. But I mean, they were great. They got a huge reaction, both bands. Um, Culture played, and like Damian Moyle, like climbed into the ceiling panels above the stage. And he was like, I don't know, he was up there. I thought, I thought he was gonna like bust through the ceiling, but somehow he didn't. I don't know. Um, Coalesce played and like threw their drum set into the crowd. Uh, that was pretty awesome um and they were amazing today is the day ended up headlining and that was by far like probably the weirdest thing anyone there had seen like a lot of people left before they played because they're like who are these guys headlining but to me i was like this is the wildest craziest weird band you're gonna see you know and today's the day played and they they traveled up from tennessee in a cadillac with a trailer attached to it and they ended up playing um i was hoping they'd play a bunch of like their like amphetamine reptile record stuff but they ended up playing a lot of the record that ended up being kind of like their big record on relapse uh, temple of the morning star and they played a lot of that stuff which was even new to me and i was like what is going on like they were so weird but it was so heavy and mean and like you know aggressive that like the people who are left in the crowd, I was just scanning their faces and everyone's like, what's going on? This is fucked up. <laughs> to which I was like very pleased because I like that sort of reaction from people. And I like to throw bands onto a show that are going to like fuck with people's expectations because that's pretty punk to me. So, so yeah, those first two days were like really, really enjoyable. They were really crazy. Uh, a lot going on, you know, running back and forth all day, you know, trying to like get hands paid or getting people in the door or taking care of little issues here and there. Um, but it was fun. It was good. I, you know, I had the opportunity to watch a lot of the bands and take a lot of pictures and stuff too while I was trying to run around and be responsible. So yeah, good times. Is that is that opening band on Friday, Dirge? Is that the one from Canada with Dom from... Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was Don Romeo from A three eighty nine, pulling teeth and integrity. Yeah, that was his. Uh, I don't know if it's like his first band ever, but it was the first band he was in when I met him. Yeah, me too. Yeah. yeah, and then you know it became Day of Morning. So yeah, and I always like to bust your balls. I always like to bust your balls about Cast Iron Hike, but now that we've uh, 
and in the age of like discussion groups on uh, social media and stuff, I've noticed that there's at least a, at least five or ten other Cast Iron Heights fans that they're not the only ones. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I get shit. Like, I just, oh. I just like their record. I think they're just yeah. great. I don't know. Yeah. I love their record. Um, but, uh, I guess. Uh, well, well, first I want to kind of say for the Sunday now. Now that I have kids, I think about this kind of shit all the time. Like my friends and I. I mean, granted, we were 16, so technically, I guess that's old enough. But we were like catching like Greyhound buses to like Buffalo and Syracuse, like at that age. And like for this show in particular, like my friends were already at the show because I had uh, had to work or or no, I went to see Iron in Rochester on Friday, so I didn't go to the whole weekend oh, nice. in Syracuse. Yeah, so I only went to the Sunday show, but I caught a bus by myself on a Greyhound that morning, and I'm like, I don't know if I would let my kids do that at the age of 16 now. Like it just kind of. I think about that shit differently and even I, I like when i got off the bus that morning i was like yo this neighborhood seems kind of like most greyhounds are in kind of like suspect neighborhoods or whatever you know what i mean and i'm like i had to walk for a little while too and i was like man you know and and yeah, I, I these bus stations kind of bunk yeah, yeah. it was up on Erie boulevard back then it was like at the old train station yeah yeah i mean you have like it's not like a like a cable television provider um, but yeah yeah it was it was yeah, it's pretty dirty down there. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I had to walk through and I was like, my goodness. But I made it through and everything. And, and it was an early, like, I'm looking at the flyer now, too. And remember, and like, I mean, you had doors at 11 on Saturday and Sunday. I know I had to have gotten there like 10 or 10 30 because we were waiting outside for a while. So, yeah. um, but another thing I want to mention, to, uh, too. I was just so used to that matinee style of shows. You know, that's like how all the shows were then. It was like, yeah, every show started at like noon or like 2 p.m. It was all matinees. And so in my mind, I'm like, well, if I'm going to have a show with 10 bands on, like, I better start pretty early. And to me, it was like, yeah, I started doing that's not late, is it? You know, but a lot of people are like, why are you starting so early? I don't know. That's just how we do it. You know, it's always matinee style. So. Well, now that I have two kids, like, I would prefer a matinee. Like, I, I booked a show at the right. Bug Jar, like, two weeks ago, and I didn't even get to stay for the last band because I was like, it's like midnight, you know what I mean? Like I don't, I can't be here until two o'clock in the morning. You know, all due respect to the bands and shit, you know. But yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the the Sunday. Um, I'm trying to think of what what other what else sticks out in my mind. I mean, obviously we can kind of get to the matter at hand if you want. Uh, what happened? Uh, was that during Endeavor's set or? Uh, I think it was right at the tail end of Endeavor's set. Like Dan, I th- Dan, I think Harvest had already played, and then Endeavor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was at the tail end of Endeavor's. Uh, yeah, I know you guys. Uh, I know you guys. Uh, you and Keith went up on stage after Endeavor finished playing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, I watched the video. <laughs> and that's when, oh my God, like, my God. <laughs> when it was possibly canceled. But yeah, I think it was during their set. I think some someone mentioned something as well, and then and then I think after a while they they kept. Maybe I'm wrong. For some reason, I was thinking that something was mentioned you know, while they were playing and things were kind of weird for a little bit and then they played some more songs and then after their set, I think you guys announced that it was, that maybe the show would be canceled and and then yeah. apparently some hours went by. I don't even know how much time, uh, yeah, uh, like, you know, I, I just like, you know, cause I just have the, the video footage. So like I had forgotten about time passing in between those bands, but uh, someone that I spoke with, um, you know, around the time of uh, when I posted the, the video of that show, it was like, yeah, it was like hours that we were felt like we weren't going to be able to get out. I don't remember how long it was that it really passed. It was like an hour or two, honestly. I yeah. mean, it felt like forever from my perspective, because I'm like, oh, my God, I have all this 
you know, responsibilities and bands I want to play in, like, what am I going to do? Uh, it couldn't have been more than two hours. And it, and honestly, it was more of a, like, don't let people out of the building because there's a crime scene outside <laughs> um, more, more so than it was a, like, you need to shut this down. Uh, it had more to do with like, look, we need, you know, police were like, we need to secure this area. Um, but at the time, you know, it just felt like uh, the venue's going to kick us all out. You know, they're not going to want to deal with this anymore. Um, that was what was running through my head. But uh, yeah, I don't know, Josh, if you want me to go in on the on the details. like, Well, I was literally just going to say, I mean, I don't know if, how, how much you want to get into it, but I was actually, oddly enough, without even thinking, I was going to say, I know for a fact now that if a gun were to get fired off outside a venue in Rochester, that the shit would get shut down immediately. You know what I mean? Like they would, there would, it wouldn't be like we're we're waiting a couple hours and, and like gonna have them like the cops <laughs> check this out. Like with how many shootings there've been in, in my city in the last couple of years, like they'd be like everybody has to get the fuck out of here or whatever. You know, what I mean? maybe an orderly. I mean, it should know. have been that. Yeah, that would probably be the more responsible thing. But hey, whatever, we're allowed to go on. Um, no, there, and it seems like over over time there's been like a lot of like um, kind of like rumors and whatnot about what actually happened. And, and what it was was um, there was a fellow who used to live in Syracuse. He moved to Florida. When he moved to Florida, um, I, you know, he was like a straight edge guy at one point. When he moved to Florida, he he started like dealing drugs. I don't know. He, you know, it could have been just like weed for all I know. I have no idea. And at one point. Earth Crisis was touring and they played down there and he came to their show and I guess he was like trying to sell weed or something to people in the crowd and the guys in Earth Crisis were like look man like we know you but like could you not do this like at our show and um, uh, that was when like Chris Whiteman was playing guitar for him and you know he he had a temper like he was known to fly off the handle and he's the reason why like Earth Crisis for a while was thought of as being like these like you know, militant tough guys would beat you up if they saw you smoking at a show. Like Chris Whiteman was kind of the reason for that. Like the rest of the guys in Earth Crisis are like they're serious dudes, but they're not. They're not like violent dudes, you know. So um, it was just Chris, you know, maybe a hothead, you know. And and he confronted this guy at this Florida show, you know. And I think they got into a fight. And so you know that kid got kind of beat on, and he got really upset. So he said. You know, I'm going to come up to Syracuse. I'm going to kill those fucking guys if I see them. So, uh, I guess, so during the fest, I guess, you know, some people like, uh, like DJ Rose, you know, and, and the Earth Crisis guy, like, those guys caught wind that he was coming up to Syracuse to, to start trouble. So they, so for those who don't know about the venue, Hungry Charlie's, it was, it was like a basement venue. It was like a down, like it was in an alleyway. And then you would go down a staircase and there's a big giant room that was in a, a basement area so all those guys those earth crisis guys and dj and a few other people like they were waiting outside the venue like in the alleyway because they heard this guy was showing up and that he was going to start trouble so they, they were waiting out there to say like to make sure he didn't go into the venue and cause trouble so they waited outside meanwhile i was just like running around taking care of business and one of the bands i don't know which band but one of the bands was like Hey, we need to like take off soon. Can can we get paid? And I was like, yeah, let me go find Keith and you know we'll throw the money out. So I'm running around looking for Keith and I couldn't find him. And so I man, there's a, a back stairwell that went up to the alleyway uh, from the venue. So I went up this back stairwell 
to look for Keith and I go outside and I think he was there, but as soon as I saw him, I also saw this scuffle going on, you know, like, a, I don't know, five, 10 yards ahead of me. And I was like, what is going on? And all of a sudden I saw a cloud, like people yelling and then I saw a cloud in the air and I was like, what's that? And that was Mace. Like the guy had shown up with his girlfriend and they kind of got into it. And then she started macing like everyone. And I was like, what the heck is this? And then I saw a hand raising me with a gun and, I, and he fired a shot. So he wasn't trying to shoot anyone. He, people were fighting and he was, he was trying to, you know, this was his way of saying, get away from me. So he shot in the air. So I was like, oh my God, gunshot. And immediately, you know, I go running, me and everyone else. Awesome. And at the same time, I'm breathing in fumes from mace. So I'm, you know, gagging and I'm like, my eyes are tearing up. And me and a bunch of people just barrel down the staircase, like coughing and wheezing. And um, I guess what had happened after we all ran back inside the venue is uh, DJ Rose was still outside with uh, Carl Beekner, you know, one of the crisis guys. And this guy from Florida, or from Syracuse, in Florida, would come up. Um, he, he pointed a gun at DJ. And you know, and at that point, uh, it was the university area, so there was always a couple cops around, um, and they, the cops showed up, like, they caught this guy, you know, trying to uh, potentially shoot someone. I think DJ talked him down, like, DJ talked him out of it. He was like, look, man, you don't want to do this, you don't want to do this, and he was like, okay, I don't, you're right, I don't want to do this, and, um, you know, cops came and arrested him, but in the meantime, you know, they had to, like, clear the crime scene or whatever, and that's when Keith and I were like, oh my God, we're shut down. Like, this is it. And that's when we made an announcement. So that's the official story. Um, you know, the guy who the guy who caused all that trouble, he ended up moving back to Syracuse like 15 years later. And, uh, you know, he, he turned he turned his life around quite a bit. He was, he's actually a pretty nice guy. I haven't talked to him in a long time, but I would see him around at first. I was like, that motherfucker's back. <laughs> you know, holding on a grudge like 15 years later. But I was like, you know, I got to talk to him a few times. And I was like, eh, he's he's fine, like whatever. You know, he went through a rough spot and he's cool now. So yeah, that that was that was a situation. Got wild. I feel like that's a little bit more than I than I had initially thought the story was. I knew about the him firing the gun and shot in the air. I don't know if yeah. anybody's really heard it, but is that is that on par with your uh, uh what you always thought had happened, Dan? Or yeah, it's funny. I don't even uh I don't even remember much because, you know, I was inside filming the whole time. So I didn't like catch any of it. And, and yeah, it's funny. I don't even remember what, uh, I don't even remember the time in between when the show was paused. Like, I don't remember what we were doing, you know? Uh, I mean, I guess just hanging out <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's, you know, um, yeah, I didn't really have, uh, I don't really have, you know, too much of a, uh, a memory of, of, you know, I mean, really what was going on. I just hearing what people were saying, basically. Um, I, oh, I wanna... sorry, about that pause too. That pause actually came at a, at a pretty decent juncture because each on Saturday and Sunday, we also took like a, like an hour break halfway through the show so that people could get food if they wanted. So when Endeavor stopped, there was going to be an hour-long break anyway. It just ended up being two to maybe three hours instead. 
<laughs> as we like figured stuff out and then once we knew things were a-okay to go then we just jump right back and we're like okay get on stage start playing you know so i think that's been like another victim and yeah suffering parade and you know the rest of the, the lineup because yeah. i think you did have like a short official dinner break too because i do like i do want to shout you guys out because again i was 16 at the time and i had dabbled in the idea of, of turning like vegetarian or whatever and this was my first time going to a show where they actually were serving vegan food like at the venue did hungry did hungry charlie's always serve food or is that just for this yeah, they they always always did. yeah that was that was a benefit of that place man they and they were hip to like vegan shit like way back then and they'd always have some vegan stuff on the menu and I mean, they would sell tons of stuff. So yeah, it was, they had a kitchen in there and everything. It was a pretty sweet venue. Yeah. yeah. And just my one, my, one last thought for me on the whole uh, incident is that, you know, go, going back to being 16, like when I heard you come back in and say a shot had been fired, I wasn't really like, I guess that nervous. Cause like I had been to a rap concert like five years before <laughs> where something similar had happened. Like they said it was a firework, but I was like, that was definitely not a firework. You know what I mean? But right. um, well, I think I was more nervous about like being locked down in a venue for several hours, which again, it wasn't like, it felt like that to us. I think it was like an hour and a half, two hours, you know, but what I'm getting at though, is again, going back to being a dad now, like I imagine like my son catching a bus to a show or a big festival when he's 16 and he comes home and I'm like, yo, how was the show? And he's like, oh, it was awesome. Some fucking guy pulled a gun out outside. He's fucking, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just crazy to think about. I mean, I know like nothing like this ever happened like any other fest or anything either it was like an isolated incident too but i still would be a little freaked out like if he told me some shit like that you know um, yeah yeah i don't know sometimes I, I mean i don't have any kids but i think about that too sometimes like like my god like some of the crazy shit like that you know my family has never you know heard about like uh you know but we survived here we are you know I mean, when your kids get to be teenagers, like they'll probably do some crazy shit too, and they'll live through it. They'll be all right, you know. Everyone, everyone does some crazy shit in their life. Um, before we talk about the second half of the fest, I feel like we kind of skipped over harvest, uh, Dan. I do want to throw one one little funny thing in there. Um, again, me being like a sixteen year old asshole, uh, when I posted this show a few months back, I mentioned it too. I, um, I remember my buddy point, turning to me when you guys were playing again, we were both 16. He's like, yo, look at this band. They're all wearing the fucking labels t-shirts <laughs> while they're playing or whatever, which at the time I was like, what the fuck? But then I ran my own label a few years later. And now I'm like, I'd love to have a bunch of people wearing my shirts on stage or whatever. I don't even know if yeah. you or not, but yeah, it's funny. Uh, I didn't, I didn't remember that until seeing the video and I'm guessing it was probably because, you know, Syracuse, because we, I, I saw on, on the videos that I posted some of the shows on the tour afterwards that some of the other shows, you know, it wasn't like a full on coordinated thing, but sometimes we'd wear it. I think a lot of times because, you know, back then we just didn't travel with much clothes, you know, <laughs> just throw a couple things in a backpack and go out for a month. And so I think it was just probably that, you know, we got to Syracuse, went over to Josh's house, which was like the trust kill headquarters and, you know, so he'd get some, you know, CDs and records and a t-shirt and, you know, I'm guessing someone probably had the idea of, you know, all of us wearing it, but I don't, I don't remember <laughs> it being, uh, I didn't remember it until, until uh, being told about it and, and, uh, and seeing the video. So like, for like, as, as far as like the tour goes, like, how was this show? Like, I guess, like compared to all the rest of them, you know what I mean? Like, was this like one of the bigger ones you guys played, I'm guessing? Oh yeah, I'd say it was the the biggest show on the on the um, on the tour. There was um, I was talking with Mike from Endeavor the other day, and and surprisingly, 
one of the best uh, crowd reactions was in Eugene, Oregon, which was just like a total surprise show. It was this crazy thing where like, uh, you know, just it felt like a room full of kind of random kids, not just like, a you know, you know, because usually it's like a hardcore scene. It's, you know, very easily identifiable, identifiable hardcore kids. But the, the Oregon show, it was kind of like just this place with, you know, probably, I mean, a decent amount of people, well, decent for those days, maybe like 50 or 100 people. But like in between every song of every band, they're just like, yeah, like everyone's, you know, cheering like crazy. It was just like uh, it, kind of a remarkable show just from everyone there just seeming to be having the best time ever and being super excited. But other than that, yeah, uh, Syracuse was definitely, well, the first show was Staten Island, which is a, which is a great show, but that was also kind of a crazy lineup. In addition to, um, Harvest and Endeavor, it was also Morning Again, Coalesce and Voorhees from England. So, uh, just kind of, you know, crazy. So, um, and uh, but, you know, Snap, well, the night before I was in New Brunswick at the Melody Bar with Snapcase and Endeavor. And that was a cool show. But, yeah, I'd say probably, you know, best turnout, best show is the Syracuse one. I hope you're Aside looking from at the crazy organ kids. <laughs> I hope you're looking at this stuff on a computer. I mean, you don't just have like a photographic memory of all these shows or whatever, because you keep just like rattling off all these shows. And I'm like, does Jesus, he remember every single one of these shows like this? Or? Uh, that's well, that's the thing that's. Uh, you know, I've, I've come to realize that I, uh, you know, I document things because otherwise I just forget them. Like uh, Adam, the drummer from uh, the Hope, well, Harvest and the Hope Conspiracy, he posted just, um, just a week ago, he posted a letter that he had sent to his mom uh, during the Hope Conspiracy days of a tour that we were doing that was like a full U.S. tour. And I was looking at it and I was like, man, I remember some of these shows because like the first week was with Earth Crisis and Buried Alive on the East Coast. And then the rest of it, I was like, what, what shows were <laughs> like I was trying to, you know, my memory starts getting kind of, um, you know, kind of mixed around because not so much Harvest because Harvest only kind of toured a few times. We had a, a few trips out to the East Coast, but not many full on tours, whereas the hope conspiracy was just, uh, you know, touring nonstop basically. So, um, but yeah, so I, you know, I've come to realize that I've, you know, I think I document things to help aid in my memory. Cause otherwise if I don't, if I don't have it documented, I end up forgetting about it. And that's one of the things I love about seeing all the flyers and stuff going up. It's like, Oh, okay. Now I know where I was, uh, <laughs> you know, that day. And, uh, but yeah, I love seeing, you know, I love seeing all the people that are uh, putting up, you know, stuff from a long time ago and like Ryan, all the stuff, all the flyers you've seen, there's been a bunch of them that I've looked at and like, ah, oh, that's great to see that again. Sure. Yeah. And that t-shirt idea with the, um, everyone wearing the same t-shirt, the label t-shirt, I was like, that's such a good idea. And like several <laughs> years later, after I started my label and I had, um, I'd done a record for the the guys in Building on Fire from Rochester. I was like, they played a show in Syracuse. And I was like, here, every one of you guys take a Hex Records t-shirt. And I had them do the same thing. They were all wearing like Hex Records t-shirts, which were like, 
yellow and ripping off like the bad brains design of the lightning oh, bolt, but instead of the lightning bolt striking the capital striking uh the mall in syracuse <laughs> which was like our only big landmark at the time um i was like that, that's the drawing but they were all wearing it i was like yeah that's so cool but that came from I, from seeing you guys i was all wearing trust kill shirts and thinking like that's such a cool move like what a good what a cool flex like yeah that's crazy that's yeah. awesome yeah. yeah, I mean, it was, it was like, uh, you know, it was, it was cool. Uh, you know, we were definitely grateful for all the stuff Josh was doing with the band and everything. And, and, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, uh, like a family back then, you know, also, yeah. you know, with Josh and, and Carl from Ferret and Good Fight, you know, they were friends forever. And same thing with, you know, the guys from Endeavor, all those guys, all the, all the Jersey guys from back then were all friends. So it was like, you know, felt like, you know, a, a kind of a family and, you know, close group of friends. So it's fun it was to easy, do stuff. Like that. It was easy to see that too, from an outsider perspective to see like, oh yeah, like all these bands, like they know each other. They're all like buddies and it, that, yeah. Like, the, as you said, like a family aspect. And I, I always found that like admirable, you know, especially when like an outsider can see that, you know, and it's not just like, bands just being buddies with each other and kind of keeping it to themselves it's like when the audience can realize that as well you know that that's a that's a cool aspect and that's it's a kind of hard to achieve you know it's hard to get that but it's it's you know it's awesome when it happens so yeah uh you know our connection with that was uh kind of through carl from ferret and good fight uh you know who later sang with nora and everything yeah. Uh, cause Carl, he went to the, uni he went to the university of Minnesota, uh, in Minneapolis. Um, and that's, you know, I think around the, that time when he was living in Minnesota that he met Dave, the oh, singer really? of Harvest. Okay. And, you know, so that's how they ended up becoming friends. And that's how, you know, Ferret ended up putting out the first Harvest seven inch, uh, just because, you know, they were friends from Carl's brief stint as a minnesotan here okay yeah i don't think it was that long but he i think he went to college for like a year or two or something out here okay and yeah. so 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 you know dave and carl ended up becoming friends around that time and uh and then you know carl and josh were so close that that mm -hmm. you know it all worked together. Sure. Yeah, ended up kind of getting sucked into the trust trust kill world through uh, through that connection there. Gotcha. Yeah, it's funny the you know the uh, how you know the how so many of these things are like based on friendships and stuff like that and and uh, it's it's funny now seeing that's another thing with the videos that have been putting out it's kind of a way that I can say, ah, okay, so that's the first time I saw them. And then we, you know, they played in Minneapolis and the next time we went to their town, we played, you know, with them there and stuff. And it's like, it's funny to see, you know, to kind of have a way and it's sa same thing I imagine with, you know, putting up the flyers and stuff that you kind of have a way of seeing how relationships are, you know, born and built through, oh, through the scene. Because yeah. back then, you know, it was, that was it. I, you know, all of my records were basically bought from bands that I saw playing shows. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's cool to see the flyers and stuff like that. Cause then it's, 
like you can kind of pinpoint where all these different uh, relationships kind of intersect. But a couple other highlights for me from this last day, uh, Ryan, was this one of another victims like first shows or? Um, you know, it was, it was pretty early on in their existence as a band. I'm, I'm not sure if they had their EP out yet. That uh, portrayal of vengeance. I don't think they had anything out because I feel like I would have bought some because I, I definitely remember liking them. Like I didn't know who they were at the time. Yeah, they definitely had a demo, that's for sure. Yeah. And maybe they had recorded the EP at this point. Maybe it wasn't out, but um, I mean, they were a band that like right from the get-go, you know, they they got some attention. And I I mean, not to take away from like, you know, John Dennison's like writing skills and stuff, like he he's dude can write some riffs, man. But um but I think that Syracuse was really hungry for like a like a new wave you know, of bands. And right around that time, around like 1997, there were like a lot of bands that just started springing up, you know, they started doing stuff. Um, it wasn't just, you know, not to say like Earth Crisis wasn't popular, like, yeah, they were the, the peak, you know, but they were on tour all the time and people were like, okay, now what's next, you know? And so a new wave of bands started coming up around that time. And it was a lot of people who were around my age or just a little bit younger than me who were doing stuff. And Jonathan Dennison had moved from Oakland to Syracuse like the year before, maybe 95 or something. And I think he moved to Syracuse with the intent of doing like a vegan straight edge band. Like that was his goal and he made it happen. You know, he gathered some people around town and made it happen. And then, you know, that's when Keith's band started playing and that was like Keith and, um, Jocko or Jason Randall, who owns North Sound Studios, you know, that that was their like super metal, you know, really intense metal band. And the guys in One to Face started playing, you know, and also like kind of carrying that torch. Um, so yeah, it was just, it was just uh, a lot of stuff started popping off right around that time. It was really cool. It was an exciting time. Yeah, no. And then for me, again, and you guys can jump in on any other highlights for this last day before we start wrapping things up. Um, Obviously, like we talked about in the beginning when we were talking about that Slugfest show, like Hapri were just like already total just like behemoths, even on like six yeah. songs. You know what I mean? Like, and sure. see, I was so excited to see them that day. Like, that was one of the main reasons why I made sure I was able to go on Sunday. And I remember somebody from a certain crew in Syracuse was moshing pretty hard. And let's just say I needed a couple ice uh, at work the next day for my throat because it got it got elbowed pretty hard. But um, them and and obviously despair. Um, one thing that's that's interesting about the despair set that because one of my friends, well, the dude I went, well, I ended up chilling with there that day from Rochester, Ben, him and I kind of got in a hardcore together. So we'd always like fuck around and joke around about a lot of shit. And, and Andy Williams from Syracuse or Buffalo, not that's that's I guess I have to differentiate not Andy Williams from Syracuse, but Andy Williams from Buffalo, because there is two. But Andy yeah. Williams ended up being in every time I die. He was like moshing around during despair wearing like a who farted hat. Like he would always have these like funky like gimmicks <laughs> and shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I remember him and I just thinking that was like hilarious. And anytime oh, that dude was at a show, it was always like an event, you know, because he's he's by far one of the funniest human beings on earth. And uh, he always made shows really fun, whether he was just like, yeah, wearing a like a silly shirt or a silly hat or just or just generally being, you know, just a wild guy. And uh, I mean, if there is any, if you could like go back and, you know, see yourself back in time and think, who of these people that I see regularized shows is going to be famous someday? He, bar, bar none, it's like 
yep, that man is destined for greatness, you know, and uh, everything that Andy has, you know, in terms of like success and notoriety, you know, whether it's wrestling or music, like he deserves every ounce of it. You know, that, that dude is a perpetual uh, well of uh, creativity and uh, I don't know, <laughs> enthusiasm. He's, he's a great person. Yeah. It's really funny too. Cause like six months after you guys booked this show, we were at a show in Syracuse. I don't know if you and Keith booked it, but it was like a bunch of bands were supposed to play and a bunch didn't show up, but Sirhan played. It was like a winter show, like January. And like, and that, that same place where you guys booked the, uh, the fest the next year. Oh yeah. 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 On Auburn. Yeah, yeah, sure. I remember the show. I think but it was I just an ultra show. I think. Yeah, exactly. I remember at the end of the show that we were saying saying bye to like Andy and Ratboy and everybody, and, and Andy turns to me because he knew I liked wrestling, and he was like, "If I see you guys at that throughway stop on the way home, you're gonna get a, a sausage drop." And to this day, I'm like, "Yo, was he threatening to fucking like slam me in the face with his dick? Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, he was just fucking around, man." No, I know, but it was just a funny, you know what I mean? Like a funny thing to say or whatever. But um, you know, I think it's funny to think that there's. A person who's in a you know a, a well-known wrestler known to thousands of people who has a man as the bastard tattoo like that's that's pretty tight <laughs> so yeah i don't think i ever even knew that he had a man as a bastard tattoo that is pretty sweet yeah um it's funny too because before we wrap up i, I also want to say on the way home that that friend of mine ben and i we were like talking on the car ride when there was like five people in the car I think Kelly Missile's brother, or no, because he, he was from Syracuse. Maybe Kelly Missile was in the car. But anyways, there was like three other hardcore kids and us. And we were just like shooting the shit about like cool things we could do. And we were like, yeah, we should do like, like they did a festival, but we'll have like wrestling and shit too. And like everybody else in the car is like, what the fuck are you talking about or ever, you know? But like now with like Andy and Brody and all these dudes that are wrestling, like I don't think that would be as, as far-fetched of an idea. Like, cause it seems kind of like to go hand in hand now, you know? Sure. Um, but one other band you were kind of talking about, like fucking with people. I feel like, like if I remember correctly, you actually did have Frodus play in between uh, Despair and Hatebreed too, right? Or was, or was that yeah, when the culture, the culture? No, 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 that, yeah, that's that was that was on purpose. Yeah, I yeah. thought so. Yeah, I was hoping you would ask me about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it came to like organizing the lineup and who was going to play when and what day, you know, me and Keith were trying to figure out the schedule and you know figure out what bands were available, what days, and all that. And Frodus was like. I really wanted them to play because I think that they're just a really fun, funny, exciting band. Um, and, you know, they had agreed to play. I just hadn't figured out where they were going to play in the lineup. So we figured almost everything out. And then I was like, where's Frodus going to fit in? I was like, I think I only got room on the third day. And, and like, literally the third day is nothing but like fucking hardcore. Like, this is like heavy, moshy, hardcore, like all day. And so I remember like calling up uh, Jason Hammaker, the drummer of Frodus, who's, he's played drums for, you know, Battery and, um, oh God, a, a bunch of other bands. I mean, he's, you know, really, he's been out there. So I called him up as I was like, listen, man, I got good news and I got bad news. Uh, good news is like, you know, I figured everything out for the fest and all that, but I don't know if you guys are going to feel okay about this, but like, you want to play between despair and hatebreed? And he's like, we get to play with hatebreed? I was like, yes. He's like, that's awesome. And he got so excited. I was like, really? You know why? He's like, no, it's going to be great. And um, I, I, and I went along with that. I was like, yeah, you know, this is really funny. Like, cause they're, you know, for no one, people who haven't heard Frodis, which I'm assuming is like most of the listenership here, like they were like a DC punk spazzy, 
band. I mean, they, I don't know, they were like a punk band, but they, they kind of fit into that DC Discord kind of thing, but they were really spazzy and, you know, just kind of silly sometimes. And here they are, it's like, you know, hate breed, Frodus, despair. And it's like, one of these things doesn't, you know, isn't like the others. And I remember like they were playing and the singer flipped down. He, you know, he had the part of a song where like, he's not playing guitar and he threw his guitar off and he took his shoes off and he threw them at the crowd and was running around through the crowd with a microphone, like being, you know, being ridiculous. So to me, that's just a lot of fun. And I, I think, you, sh you know, shows shouldn't be just like, you know, serious and mosh and all this stuff. It's like, you got to throw some fun in there too. And, you know, liven things up or, you know, appeal to different types of folks. So I just, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was funny. Well, I think, I think after taking the aforementioned elbow to the throat, I was probably happy to take a break with uh, probably a glass of ice water or something uh, and, 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 you know, relax for a minute before uh, despair closed the show out. Yeah. And watch photos uh, flip out for a while. Like let them be crazy. You know, you don't have to do nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Dan, did you video, did you, I don't know if you mentioned this in the interview already, but did you film every, like at least like one song from every set that day or? Um, on that one, I don't have Frodus. I have <clears throat> the one song that culture, uh, played on that night. And then I think I have full sets of despair, endeavor, harvest, hate breed and samsara. But before that, yeah, I think, uh, American or, uh, uh, uh another victim i think was before that so i didn't get i didn't catch them on that one um yeah i think uh i think harvest was the first one probably because you know we were always coming late to places so I, you know we probably like got there right when we were supposed to play and then i you know got someone to film i don't know who someone filmed while we were uh playing and then i filmed the rest of the night but yeah, I don't, I don't remember about Frodus. Why? Maybe I went out to eat or something, but yeah, I missed them. <laughs> um, now that's, you mentioned people videotaping Harvest. That makes me think like, did you ever like go back and watch some videos and be like, man, why did I ask this motherfucker to videotape? This shit or <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think, I think the, the main one for that was on the Despair Brothers Keeper tour. Uh, there was one show for some reason, I think it was like Virginia or something where I had Jesse, the drummer from Despair <laughs> videotape, and he would keep, you know, he would have it basically, you know, for like two minutes on the snare drum, watching the stick hit the snare drum. And then it'd be like, oh, floor Tom. And so it's like just a close up of the drums for a, a good portion of the set, uh, which I haven't seen since, you know, I haven't. I don't have that one digitized, so I haven't seen it recently. It'll, it'll be really funny to see that again. But like my memory is that like the the show that he filmed, it was just like close up zoom in on where the drumstick hits the snare head, you know, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, you know, sometimes I'd get lucky. Sometimes I wouldn't, you know, I think I have like probably like 60 harvest shows and I filmed one before I was in the band, which was January of 96. Um, and the rest is just like, you know, handing off the camera to friends or random people at the show. Like, oh, you want to, you want to tape or, or I think, uh, I think there was one at the Kansas city fest. I think that I just put it up on a tripod and left it there. Um, but yeah, I was mostly just handing it off to someone on the endeavor tour. Uh, 
I think Mike Duffy, the guitarist, filmed quite a bit. Uh, you know, it would kind of go back and forth between a few different guys uh, from Endeavor. I think Rummel, to the drummer, I think filmed a bit. So sometimes I'd get lucky with someone who, you know, and that's, it's actually a funny thing. There are some shows where it's like, man, they, I'm glad that there's someone that filmed a lot better than I did because I, I would generally, you know, I didn't do any like, you know, quick uh, pans or anything like, you know, you look at like Sonny and the Hate Five Six stuff, you know, it's like uh, a whole nother thing. I would generally try to capture everything. So I'd kind of be, you know, zoomed out for the most part, you know, being able to get the whole band, you know, in screen, on the screen. So it wasn't like, you know, it's, it's not what I would consider as artistic of a, of a capture. So every now and then I'd hand it off to someone that would, you know, like be going to, you know, photography school or film school or something. They'd actually do a good job of filming. <laughs> You mentioned in Sunny though makes me think. Uh, shout out to Jesse Moscato for being so influential with the drum cam uh, videos that Sunny does. <laughs> exactly. Now you probably, you probably knew that was he's, coming. He started a good fifteen years beforehand. Or yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I think we've had a pretty good discussion here. I, I'm, I'll probably start wrapping up soon with like any funny anecdotes to take from the weekend and shit like that. But um, is there anything we missed or anything you guys would have wanted to touch on for the weekend or anything that we didn't already uh, talk about? Yeah, you know. Um... I alluded before about, you know, people thought there was a rumor like Path of Resistance was playing. And um, we did, you know, on the flyer, there is like on the third day, it was like, oh, a special guest. And it was, it was me and Keith were really into the idea of this band called the Brown Stars playing. Uh, Brown Stars were kind of like a Syracuse secret. It was dudes from Earth Crisis's joke band, but they didn't advertise it because they didn't really want to be known as like, these guys playing lewd, you know, horrible music. So every once in a while, there would be this band called the Brown Stars and they would show up at places under the guise of a different name or something. And they would get kicked out of venues on purpose because they would just do ridiculous shit. They would go up there and like, you know, throw stuff at the crowd and, or just like, just do ridiculous shit. And so after a while, when they would want to play somewhere, they would have to play under a different name. And then they would show up and you know in wigs or something like that and a bunch of hardcore kids would show up and they'd be like hey we're not really you know uh it's not really uh wizard dragon we're the brown stars and you'd see the sound guy be like oh geez not again you know and then they'd go and like trash the place or whatever so we thought that was hilarious and we're like yo we gotta get the brown stars to be the special guest at the fest that would be hilarious so we, we ended up talking to them and they were like, yeah, oh no, sure, why not, or whatever. So we thought that they were gonna play and we just kept it under wraps, we didn't announce it. Um, but then it, you know, it got to like a day or two before and they're like, look, people there, they're gonna know that we're from Earth Crisis and we don't want it known that like we're doing this other side thing that's completely like not what Earth Crisis would be about. So we're not gonna play and we're like, ah, oh, shit. So that kind of left us in a lurch with like, who are we going to get, you know? So then, yeah, that's when people started spreading a rumor thinking the path is going to play. And it's like, no, they're not. And it ended up being Samsara or um, they changed their name at one point to Tread. They're were, they were essentially just kind of like a local kind of post-hardcore band, you know, just some like hardcore dudes who were playing like very, uh, 
I don't want to say like radio friendly rock, but it was like, you know, that radio friendly tier of post hardcore. Um, I mean, they were, they were fine. It was cool. But, you know, I think a lot of people were like, oh, I thought it was going to be much bigger. I'm like, yeah, well, this, this is what we got. So that was the surprise. And, and uh, yeah, a lot of people didn't know that. So. It's funny too, because I remember again being 16 and still being kind of new to all this. Like, I thought Culture Film in their video was a special guest. I was so confused. I was like, "What? So what?" I, I had totally guest? forgotten that they that they did an extra song the third day. I I that complete I completely forgot that that had happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I ended up talking. Oh, sorry to cut in. I ended up talking with Rich uh, about that. Um, and Gordon, who was playing bass, and I talked with a few of the guys from Culture, and basically, I guess they just needed to take some photos for an upcoming record, and and so, you know, their show had fallen through that Sunday night. They were supposed to play, I think, in Connecticut or something, and the show fell through, so they just stuck around longer and yeah. uh, got up and played one song and to get some photos for the for the upcoming album and stuff, and. And it, you know, had a crazy response. I don't know how Saturday Saturday night was, but it was uh, intense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, culture, for jumping in and messing up our schedule. But hey, that's cool. You know, you need to get your photos. It's all good. <laughs> Is there anything else, Dan, that that I that you wanted to uh, bring up or anything from the fest that I forgot to bring up before we start kind of wrapping things up? I guess. Um. Yeah. Nothing I can really think of. I mean, other than. I just wanted to thank Ryan for putting the on the fest and and um, you know uh, and shows and all that. Uh, like I said before, I was never I was never the guy in the band who uh, took care of booking things, and so a lot of times I ended up just kind of uh, you know getting up and playing and not really discussing much or talking much with a lot of times people who are you know promoters or putting on shows and stuff like that. So I. I looking back, I feel kind of bad that, you know, not to, not to say thanks maybe for, for things. So in case I hadn't said thanks 25 years ago, I'm thanking you now. <laughs> um, so I guess, I think I already kind of told my, all my funny anecdotes with the stupid wrestling fest idea that we had and whatnot. Um, but I feel like Ryan, you had to at least learn some stuff from this weekend because you guys ended up booking another one and, and Keith ended up kind of creating a i don't know what you want to call it after that you know but yeah it became a, quite a monster after that didn't it honestly this was only the third show i'd ever booked so i booked like the first show i ever booked was in like may of two of 1997 and then the second show i booked or me and keith started booking together after that and that was uh the neurosis i hate god brutal truth unsane overcast show that's you know that that was huge and that was only the second show i'd ever done and then we did the fest and i think before the fest i think i might have booked one other show like something that you know i had something coming up and it just fell into place but yeah this the whole thing was a learning experience i mean it was just you know instead of just starting out small it was pretty much like just diving right in you know and uh it was yeah, you learn a lot, but um, you know, uh, it wasn't it wasn't just Keith and I. You know, I mean, we, we yes, we were the main promoters, but like you know, we had a crew of friends that were like very helpful. That 
would you know help us out with flyering or like you know a day of the show is like hey can you help like so-and-so load in or like go out and find that band and tell them you know what time we gotta play or whatever so um we definitely had friends who were giving us a hand like um you know like our friend Nina snyder helped out a bunch my friend john Bukowski, who i played dialysis with like he helped out a bunch matt dunn you know who ended up booking tons of shows in syracuse later on like he helped us out a bunch um uh our friends uh crystal preston walter and um Kate Estes, who passed away a few years ago like they were helpful during that weekend with just like getting bands, their passes things like that just like small things um this dude dave g who was from buffalo but was living in syracuse was he was like working the third shift the overnight shift at kinko's and he would just let us go hog wild in that store like he hooked us up with thousands of dollars worth of copies and computer time and printing stuff like he just printed thousands of posters and flyers for us we'd go up in there at like 2 a.m on like a wednesday and just be like hey dave we're gonna be here for the next three hours and he would just like walk the other way you know so i mean we, we had help, and so, you know, me and Keith did, you know, we did the bulk of the work, but we had a lot of people behind us who were very helpful, and, you know, some of those are people that are, like, trying to buy to this day, you know, and uh, that was that was a great thing. It was very stressful, but it was great, you know. So, and I also, also, I had no idea that Dan had been filming all this stuff. I had no clue up until, you know, whatever, a few months ago or last year when he started putting the videos up, I was like, Holy shit, someone did this. And like, you know, it's kind of cool to see that. It's it's really neat uh, to come upon some of that. So that was that was a nice surprise. It's funny how back then uh knowing someone at Kinko's was a big part of <laughs> your your uh PR, you know, like if they're integral uh, to the to the scene operating. Like who's yeah. the hardcore kid who's gonna work at Kinko's? Like who's gonna be that person? <laughs> yeah, for for a while I was that person. Uh uh it's funny i worked uh i don't even remember what year it was it was probably around that time probably 97 uh yeah probably 97 98 that i worked at a kinko's in minneapolis uh with dustin perry who played in threadbare and snapcase and uh chachi darren who played in a, a played drums in a band up here in minneapolis uh and then played in the akas with mike ski Uh, and so it's like you know it's I think every band has someone who at some point worked at Kinko's and (laughs) you know because back then it was a huge part of of you know being able to print up flyers and get you know shows happening was all about flyers and stuff like that so that's right it's It's, it's all about the like uh you know punk rock to Kinko's employee pipeline yeah (laughs) Back, how, back then, all the hardcore kids once they work there. Yeah. yeah, I'd say back in the 90s, we didn't have many hardcore barbers. It was more hardcore right. Kinko's yeah. employees. Yeah, yeah, that was the that was the job. Yeah. The the changing uh, career choices of hardcore kids. That's right. <laughs> I've seen people reference those dialer things too. I think that was a little bit before my time, though. Oh yeah. yeah. But um, Ryan, I'm kind of a little floored. I wish I would have known this in the beginning in the conversation. It sounds like. You had booked a couple shows, but when you guys put the fest together, like you hadn't actually like had the whole process go through a book and a show yet. Like you had shows booked, but none had actually happened right yet when you booked the fest. Does that make uh, sense? 
I booked my first show is like beginning of May, 1997. Yeah. And and that show was only like put together like three weeks before it actually happened. So and that was with like Ink and Dagger and Botch, and um, that was the first show I ever booked. And I think is probably like. That just opened the floodgates. I think it was like within you know a couple of weeks of booking that show, me and Keith were already talking. Um, at that point, I think Keith had booked his first show in like March. Yeah, he booked it. I, I remember this distinctly. Three one five. He booked the first. Keith booked his first show on March fifteenth, nineteen ninety seven. Three one five area code, whatever, for Overcast, and that was the first show he ever did. And that's where I met Keith. That's how we got to know each other. And then yeah, right from there, it's like. It just boom is going. So yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. I can't imagine like booking a fest with like such minimal knowledge of booking shows. You know, what I mean? and having it all work out like this. You know, yeah, I have no idea. It's just, it's, you know, you observe it enough. You see other people book a show, and you say, "Fuck it, I can do that." You yeah. Know? So it just took confidence. I think it was. It wasn't until one of my friends actually booked a show where I was like, "Oh, it's not just like some scene dude booking shows. It's like a friend of mine is doing this." Like. I can do that. If they can do it, I can do it. So I, I think there was a little confidence there. But that's the great thing about you know punk and DIY shit is it's like okay, you know, like I can do this. I don't need a roadmap. I can just do it. You know, so yeah. Um, I guess before we really start wrapping up, this is nothing to do with the fest and um it's kind of random, but it's kind of not. Dan, were you playing in Hope Conspiracy in October of two thousand one? Uh, yeah, well, that was the very tail end. My last tour was October 2001. Yeah, that's like, I don't know if you remember at all, but like one of the most like crazy shows that I booked and it's been talked about on this podcast, probably at least like half the episodes. It was you guys Thursday, carry on every time I die and no warning in a fucking like a, a small lodge, like in a suburb mm. of Rochester. And there was probably like 300 people there and the place held like 60. Um, <laughs> and it was just like one like it was just it was awesome you know what i mean so um yeah i don't know if you remember that at all but it was definitely yeah uh, i'm I'm trying to uh because we did uh the last tour i did was with carry on over my dead body uh it kind of changed up over the course of the 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 tour i think this was like the very beginning of it and thursday wasn't even on that tour they just ended up needing a show that night like there's like one of those things like how we were just talking about how the fest all kind of worked out perfectly like the stars just aligned and like Chris Ring or somebody like sent me a, a message like a, a month before the show. And they're like, yo, do you want to have Thursday on that show too? And I was like, like, it was like, that was like when they were blowing up, you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, that's yeah. Fucking, fucking perfect, you know? And yeah, it was, that's awesome. Yeah. 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 My last show with the Hope Conspiracy um, was, I don't remember the exact date. It was the end of October. I think like the 23rd or so uh, at CBGB's in New York. Um, and then you know, that was my last show and also the drummer, uh, Adam, uh, his last show too. His because he joined the army and me because I uh, had was living in California and <laughs> I don't think the rest of the band liked that very much. <laughs> yeah, it seems like nowadays, like having band members spread out across the country is more common. But back then it was like, it seemed a lot tougher. You know, now it's so much easier with like what we're doing right now. You know what I mean? Like wouldn't have been able to do this interview like this year, yeah. 2001, you yeah. know, everybody like, spread out. I remember just like talking to Ryan about it beforehand. He was like, we're gonna have to figure out some logistics. Cause like, like Dan's in uh, uh, the, the central time zone, I'm in the Pacific. And I thought about like that, but then last night when you hit me for the loop with the, 
I'm an hour ahead of you. I was like, is this guy confused or what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> like, I even asked you, I was like, aren't you in central time? So yeah, uh, I will be uh, in a few days. I'm going back to Minnesota uh, on Tuesday. So I'll be back there for a while, but, but yeah, for now I'm uh, ahead of you guys an hour or two. Right on. Um, well, I think, like I said, I think we had a pretty good discussion here. I think I've kind of gotten everything out. Um, I guess we'll kind of wrap up with like shout outs and if you guys have anything you want to plug, uh, Ryan, if you want to go first. Um, no, I, thank you for having an interest in this. You know, I love history. Like I absolutely love history. Uh, and nostalgia is fun, but, um, I always like to look to what's happening now and what's coming up, you know, that's always exciting to me too. So, you know, I don't like to like completely dwell on the past, even though I have an entire Instagram page dedicated to the past, but I like to think of that in terms of like, this is history, you know, and this is what happened. And it's, it's nice for people to know that and to know those backgrounds and know how things changed in the scene and all that sort of stuff. You know, I think that's valuable to know. Um, but again, I always, you know, I have equal amount of excitement about like what's happening right now. And I mean, that's evident. I put out records for bands who exist right now, you know, and I, and I like learning and listening to new hardcore and punk stuff like I always like finding new stuff it's a never-ending sort of uh enjoyment so um so shout out to what's happening now that's yeah but thank you for like enjoying what came before too yeah definitely and I just want to reiterate I've been saying the last couple episodes too that's that's exactly where I'm at with this podcast I try to have a strong hand on what happened you know and then the heyday like like the late 90s early 2000s but i'm also trying to keep an eye on what's going on now too with like Absolutely. current band interviews and new music and you know i, I noticed what the listeners like a little bit more so i kind of you know try to keep these episodes coming too yeah. um but i definitely don't want to be like completely uh stuck in the past so to speak i guess you know exactly. yeah i don't i don't i don't want to be jaded you yeah. know I, I i hate when i hear people who are like, oh, it used to be better back then. Like, no, it's great now. Like, you just don't enjoy it as much. Or, uh, or you know, there's there's no good bands now. It's like, no, there's tons of good bands now. Like, you need to pay attention. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fun to revisit this stuff. I really like doing that. And I love history, but I also love what's happening now. So... And, and Dan, just kind of wrapping up, I guess, before I, I do my uh, final shout outs and outro and whatnot, uh, you have any final thoughts or shout outs or plugs, I guess? Um, yeah, nothing much, really. Um, you know, I have some projects that are kind of in the way in, in the works, but nothing that's uh, to a point where I'm ready to kind of announce anything yet. Uh, I've got a band down here in Sao Paulo that we've been working on ever since like during the pandemic, uh, when things, uh, you know, when we were kind of everyone stuck at home, the, there's a guitarist down here that that we started going and doing some songs that I'm actually doing vocals for this band rather than playing guitar uh, that I'm really excited about, but we just haven't uh, been moving very quickly with that. So I haven't really announced that stuff, but I'm excited for that. And, and uh yeah, some other things going on, but nothing that's really ready to release into the world yet. <laughs> yeah, no, that's cool. And it's just crazy. Like, I've just been noticing more and more lately how international hardcore really is now. Like, I've been seeing, like, bands from, like, Indonesia and, like, all these, like, crazy faraway places that I never would have thought that, you know, I would see it. So it's cool to see it. And, again, 
I'm glad that we're all kind of doing this archival shit so that when people from all these faraway spots in 20 or 30 years come along, they'll know about what happened before and during and after type thing. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I think that's going to wrap everything up. So I, I definitely want to thank uh, uh, Ryan and Dan for taking the time to do this interview tonight. Um, as always, I want to thank uh, Greg Benoit, Jim Byrne, and Rob Antonucci for all the help with the podcast. Thanks to my family for the support and making time for me to record all this stuff. Um, episode 91 will be streaming shortly. Uh, see everyone real soon and stay safe. Thank you, Josh. It's good talking again. Thanks again. Thanks a bunch. Nice seeing you guys.